Well, welcome to our home. Ty and Cindy and Joshua all live here, and uh, our governor has asked us to stay home, and so we are honoring his directive. Let's jump right into Matthew 27. Look in your Bibles with me, please. We live in a tumultuous time, and it's inconvenient to be told what we can do or what we cannot do, and uh, yet we can't really say we're suffering. We're really just inconvenienced right now. And it can be irritating and uh, scary based on how they spin the story. In fact, I really think they should uh, quarantine the media for about two weeks. would probably really help our situation because they sell fear and uh, they, they're doing a good job. In fact, there's a poem by uh, Rudyard Kipling that goes, If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, if you can do this and this and this and this and this, you, at the end he says, you will be a man, my son. Well, somebody had a version of this that says, if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs, you just don't understand the situation. And uh, when bad things happen or bad things are anticipated to happen, well, then uh, there's, we all deal with a certain amount of fear. Jesus did as well. In fact, a few weeks ago, we looked at uh, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying. He's asked his friends to pray. He's, he's, he's anxious. He's sweating like, sweat, uh, like drops of blood. And he's praying, Lord, if it's possible, remove this from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus pushed past his fears, realized he was right in the center of God's hand, and he had a job to do that was going to be difficult and painful and ultimately would cost him his life. But for you and for me, he was willing to go all the way to the cross. And Jesus is our model. We want to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ and to, to follow him in all things. And as we look at this story in Matthew 27, Jesus is being woefully treated and uh, he has uh, left uh, those feelings of fear behind. He is about doing the work of God. And <clears throat> so he knows it's going to cost him his life. And he has predicted, and just as he did, it's coming true, that uh, Judas has betrayed him. He's been arrested by a band from the high priest's office. And uh, Peter has promised that he would stay with him right to the end. But then in his own fear, he swears up and down that uh, Jesus <clears throat> will... Um, he never knew Jesus. And uh, then he hears the rooster crow, and uh, he leaves in tears. And uh, Jesus is put on trial most of the night. And uh, then in the morning, the Jewish leaders have decided, we need to figure out a way to have this man put to death. And so that's where we pick up the story. Matthew chapter 27, verse 1 says this. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. They bound him and they led him away. And they delivered him over to Pontius Pilate to be to the governor. Now, just a little bit of background. Herod had become king in 37 BC and ruled until 4 BC. And when he died, his three sons and his sister all raced to Rome, hoping to be named the next king or queen. And Rome wanted to uh, have control of the area and uh, to continue to collect the taxes. And so instead of giving it to one person, they divided it between all four of them, made each one a tetrarch or a quarter king. And so uh, Antipas, uh, Herod Antipas became the tetrarch up in Galilee. And he's the one who tangled with John the Baptist and beheaded John the Baptist. He's the one who wanted to see Jesus do a miracle. And uh, he must have been okay as a tetrarch because he lasted to 39 AD. His brother Archelaus 
had a rough start in Jerusalem and uh, was considered mean and uh, people died in a riot even before he was named Tetrarch and he got the credit for it and he lasted only 10 years. So the people, leader, Jewish leadership in Jerusalem figured out if you make enough noise, if you riot enough, they will make changes. And so then instead of somebody from Herod's family, they put in a, a, a governor. And they went through governors like some people go through Kleenex. And uh, so by the time you get to Pontius Pilate in 26 AD, he is the fifth governor. This is not a plum assignment. This is not a career enhancing move for him. And he doesn't want to be there. And uh, so... He is put on the spot that morning because they bring Jesus bound uh, to, uh, to his mansion. Look what Jesus endured on our behalf. Matthew 27, starting verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. So here's the scene. They bound Jesus' hands like he's a common criminal, and somebody is dragging him along. Leading the parade are Annas and Caiaphas, the high priests, who are probably decked out in their most impressive attire, leading people through the streets, and the crowd is growing larger as they approach uh, the governor's uh, mansion. Kind of like, I don't know if you remember in high school, all, if somebody yelled, fight, fight, people everywhere would drop their books, leave their lockers, forget about class, run to see what was happening. I think it was that kind of scene as they dragged Jesus through the streets and got him to the governor's mansion. They get to the governor's mansion with all the yelling and the commotion going on and Pilate comes out on the balcony because he can hear everything. He's probably not dressed in his most impressive attire. It is, after all, 6 a.m., and maybe they woke him up, or maybe he was in the middle of breakfast. Anyway, he comes out to see what all the noise is about. They shove Jesus out into the middle, uh, and standing before Pilate, and they accuse him, and Pilate seats himself on the judgment seat. So Pilate gets into asking some very good questions. He must have known about Jesus because his opening question is, are you the king of the Jews? To declare oneself king would be tantamount to treason. And you would find yourself quickly arrested and disposed of because you're putting yourself in direct competition with Caesar in Rome, who may be a long way away, but Pilate is his representative and is going to make sure that he keeps law and order. And he has the power of the Roman army behind him right there in Jerusalem during this time of the feast. Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, you have said so, with an emphasis on you. I mean, Jesus could hardly answer before the lynching mob led by the high priest began all their commotion and all the noise and all the talking and all the chatter over on the side. And I think Pilate probably made the assumption they would not have dragged this fellow here in front of me this early in the morning and be this angry about it if he hasn't done something. But then as he listened to the noise and the cacophony, he comes to the conclusion Maybe this guy isn't guilty after all. Maybe they're just trying to make a lot of noise. And so 
he realizes that the most important opinion to Pilate is not the noise of the crowd. It's not the high priest and what his accusations are. It's not even what Jesus would have to say. The highest opinion to Pilate is Caesar in Rome because he knows he may have to answer for the decision that he makes on that day. So whose opinion matters most to you? Is it your friends? Is it the media? Is it yourself? Is it Jesus Christ? When things are on the line, when they're confusing or irritating or hard to determine, what is the right course of action? How do you decide whose opinion matters? Earlier this week, there was a story on Facebook that a man was sent to Sprouts supermarket by his wife to pick up some things. He didn't really want to go, best I could understand. And so when he got there, he puts a message back to her on Facebook saying, the store is completely empty. All the workers have gone home. There is nothing here to buy. Thinking he was being funny, it got picked up on Facebook and almost started uh, a panic among people. There's not going to be food in any stores. Fortunately, somebody recognized it, called the store and got the message out. This was a hoax. It was a lie. It was fake news. It's not true. The joke wasn't even funny. So who do you listen to? Whose opinion matters? Notice in Matthew 27 verse 13. It says, Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave no answer not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Pilate's amazed at the cacophony of the crowd versus the calm of the accused. That's not normal. Usually the person accused would be making their own noise and yelling and screaming their innocence, but not Jesus. Jesus stays calm and says nothing. And Pilate becomes convinced that Jesus is innocent and begins to look for a way to set him free. You know, I had a situation a few years back where I got sideways with a boss, which is not a good place to be, and it doesn't last very long. And nasty things were being said, and accusations were being made, and I'm turning one night uh, wide awake in the middle of the night thinking about these things, and finally I decided I should go over and write, uh, type these out on my computer at church. And it's 3 in the morning, it's kind of cold outside, but I'm going to be inside, so I zip over there, and as I'm turning the corner to go in the door of the office, suddenly I'm aware there's a person right here. And I'm afraid, what if that person is armed? What a, I could die. I actually dropped the papers I'm carrying, and I looked back at the person and said, oh, I didn't know you were here. And he said, I didn't know you were here either. As I looked at him, he was a teenager with an army coat on and blue jeans slumped against the wall. I went on in the office. It's 3 in the morning. I start my typing up all these accusations and, and things that had been said. And suddenly, I hear the voice of God as clearly as I ever have. And God says, you just failed the test. I said, what? This is unfair. I've been treated unfairly. And he says, well, you just passed a youth who's out at 3 a.m. in the middle of the night, obviously in distress, and you are so concerned about your own issues that you didn't even invite him to come sit in where it's warm. So I went back and looked out. He was gone. Went back to the computer and I said to God, well, what should I do? And I heard God say, what did Jesus say to Pilate? What was his defense? I said, wait a minute. Jesus didn't say anything. He was silent. And I heard God say, that would be good. Because you have a choice. You can be filled with your own anger and your own 
it ain't fairs and uh, I've been cheated and uh, anger and brokenness. Or you can be filled with my love and joy and peace. You can't have both. Which one do you want? Didn't take long to figure out. I really want his love, joy, and peace. So I blanked out when I was writing. Decided I would say nothing to anybody about the situation. And I would wait for the Lord to move in my life. And he did. He provided exactly what we needed. And he filled us with his love and joy and peace. So Pilate is looking for a politically correct way to set Jesus free. He knows they have him there out of envy. It's not because he's a threat to them other than to their popularity. So he knows there's no real good reason that they are bringing to Jesus to him to be put to death. So he comes up with an idea. They didn't even see it coming. Matthew 27 verse 15 says, At the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, they had gathered Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus who's called the Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Now this was a twist even the high priest didn't see coming. I mean, you know the name Jesus means Savior. And it was actually a quite common name in Jesus' day. But what about this man named Barabbas? He's notorious. That means that the people in charge would have hated him and the common people would have loved him, kind of like a Robin Hood kind of figure, because he has done something that people think maybe this is helping us move towards freedom. And in the process, somebody had gotten killed. So the name Barabbas is not really a name. In fact, I heard a sermon by uh, Pastor Chuck Swindoll explaining this. He says the name Barabbas, if you take it apart, Bar means son of, Abba means father, and the S means holy revered. So he's the son of the holy revered father. And uh, he's in prison because he's been involved in terrorist activity. Somebody has died. They've been murdered. And so his father could have been the high priest, maybe even the high priest accusing Jesus that very day. This also would have made Barabbas one of the priests. Well, there's actually an ancient manuscript that asks this question this way. Pilate says, whom do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who's called the Christ? So Barabbas' first name is Jesus. It means Savior. And Pilate, who's not Jewish, who doesn't even want to be in Jerusalem, wants nothing to do with their issues, cares nothing for their beliefs about a savior, wishes he had a job somewhere else, puts it in their face. He goes on the offensive. He says, I got two saviors here. One is a terrorist, murders people. One is a tremendous teacher doing miracles. We've even heard that he raised people from the dead, gave sight to the blind. Which one do you want? Which kind of savior? Do you want and which one should we put to death? And so Pilate has gone on the offensive. He knows I've got, I'm going to release one savior. What kind of savior do you want? And somewhere before they get the answer, Pilate gets distracted from a text from his wife. Here's what she says, verse 19. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Dreams are thought to be the thoughts and words of God. And so here you have a Gentile governor's wife who is caring about a Jewish Galilean peasant turned preacher who can do miracles. 
And she's saying, he's innocent, have nothing to do with him. But Pilate knows he has to make a choice. That he'll either be unpopular with the people or he'll be putting an innocent person to death. Pilate's probably thinking, I know he's innocent and I have found a way because they're never going to choose the murdering terrorist over the holy man because that would show they don't really care about Caesar. They are no friend of Caesar if they let Barabbas go. But look what happened. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. While Pilate is listening to the message from his wife, the high priests stir up the crowd. Maybe they already had people planted in it. You've got a mob mentality. They're like a bunch of sheep. And, uh, you know, you, they start to say, we've got to ask for Barabbas, ask for Barabbas. I mean, you tell a lie loud enough, long enough, people begin to believe it. And there are always people who are going to spin uh, the truth, slant the news, manipulate popular opinion, get the crowd to bolt a certain direction they would never choose on their own. And this crowd could have been the very same people who had, the week earlier had been on the Mount of Olives and they put Jesus on a donkey and they put their own robes down in front of him and palm branches and yelled, Hosanna to the son of David. That meaning he's a king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. They're saying he is heir to the throne of David. He comes in God's power. He's the chosen one. Look how quickly they have turned like a herd of petrified sheep. Verse 21. The governor again says to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus, who's called the Christ? And they said, let him be crucified. That's absolutely amazing because crucifixion was a Roman way of putting people to death. And it was torturous. It was not Jewish. And even the Romans only used it for slaves and criminals. They said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. Do you remember back when we could go to sporting events in stadiums? You know, like a baseball game and maybe you go early and you're outside in the parking lot. Maybe you're even a little bit late for the game and all of a sudden you hear a roar. Ah! And you don't know whether that's good news or it's really bad news. And so you race into the stadium to see. Well, Pastor Chuck Swindoll was talking about Barabbas being in prison while this trial of Jesus is going on. He's close enough to hear the roar of the crowd, but he's not close enough to hear what Pilate asks. Pilate asks, which of the two do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who's called the Christ? And the crowd yells, Barabbas! And then Pilate says, what shall I do with Jesus, who's called the Christ? And the crowd yells, crucify him! Can you imagine the fear in Barabbas' heart when they came to the prison and opened the door and they said to him, you're released. He says, no, 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 I heard them. They yelled my name. They yelled, crucify him. Well, John, the Gospel of John, adds other details to what happened that day to Jesus. In John 18, 33, it says, Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you're a king. 
Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? Then Pilate, after he had said this, he went outside to the Jews and he told them, I find no guilt in him. What is truth? That's still a good question. We live at a time when truth has been vandalized, scandalized. We have people who say, well, that's my truth or your truth. Like we get to make it up or we get to decide the truth. See, we live at a time where our culture has largely discarded the Bible as God's word of truth to us. And so in our humanistic society, the prevailing questions uh, that we would ask like, who am I? Or why am I here? Or where have I come from? We would answer, well, you evolved out of nothing and you're an accident. You are a lucky draw of random evolutionary process of chance. And you are here to consume as much as you like and to enjoy life as much as possible until you die. We know this doesn't ring true. There's no such thing as your truth, my truth. Truth is established by God. In fact, Jesus said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So what is truth for the Christian who reads the Bible and believes God and his word? We answer those questions, where did I come from? I came from God. Who am I? You are the crown of God's creation. You are, he, you are his treasure. He loves you. And why am I here? You are here to bring glory to God with your life and to love him and to follow him all of your days, to put his son, Jesus Christ, first in your heart and in your thoughts. So let's look at what is truth. What is truth about the high priest? The high priest, the truth is he served God, but he didn't know God. He had his own agenda he was following. And he was one of those that the Bible says he loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. What is the truth for Barabbas? Truth was Barabbas was a criminal and he deserved to die for taking someone else's life. But because of the grace of God, he was set free. Did he ever meet Christ? Did he ever come to the foot of the cross? Did he ever ask Jesus to be his savior? Did he ever join the church? We don't know any of that. We will have to wait and find that out later. What is the truth about Pilate? Well, for a moment, Pilate had the power to decide if Christ lived or died that day. I know it was the plan of God from before the creation of the world for Christ to come into the world to die, but Pilate had free choice but only for a moment. He knew Jesus was innocent. He had been warned by his own wife. He knew that Caesar would want to know what had happened. Then he also heard the crowd and he knew they would riot and it might cost him his job. And he knew that Jesus was just one man. And so Pilate had a choice to choose the truth, to know that Jesus is innocent, set him free, or to put him to death and save his own skin. Pilate even tried to wash his hands of the whole affair, which would be very popular this week, of washing your hands and wash them again. But here in front of the crowd, he washes his hand, basically saying, it's not my fault. I'm not doing this. It's not up to me. But it was up to him. And he chose to put the Savior, Jesus, to death. So what is truth about Jesus? 
Well, Jesus is God and he chose to come into this world and he chose to suffer and die so that you and I might have our sins forgiven. Jesus died on the cross later that day. But the truth is, he didn't stay dead. He came back alive because he is God and he is our Savior. He's now seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven and he will judge every person. What is truth about you, about me, about us? Well, first, we have a choice. And, and the choices we make in this life profoundly affect our relationship with God and where we will spend eternity. We will stand before Christ someday to give an account for our lives. Truth is, you and I have been called by Christ to accept his forgiveness, to join his family, to do his work in this world. And we are called to serve Christ and to speak for Christ. And sometimes that's not popular. Sometimes it is hard. Sometimes it can be in a hostile environment or be rejecting. Sometimes we have to get over our fears to do the work that God has called us to do. And sometimes, even when it's difficult, we are right in the hand of God, right in the center of where he would want us to be. Martin Luther lived during a time when there was a bubonic plague. And it was a disease so terrifying that when it finally got stopped, over 60% of Europe's population had died. And uh, so in August of 1527, the, the plague hit Wittenberg where he was living with his wife, Katharina, and she was pregnant at the time, but he chose to remain there. And here's what he said in his explanation. You ought to think this way. Very well, by God's decree, the enemy has sent us poison and deadly offal. Therefore, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance infect and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me and I will have done what he has expected of me. And so I'm not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely. Let me ask you today, what will you do with Jesus? Neutral you cannot be. Someday your heart will be asking, what will he do with me? Shall we pray? Dear Jesus, we thank you that you were willing to stand before Pilate, be ridiculed, harassed, suffer, tortured, and die for us because you knew that we needed forgiveness, we needed a sacrifice, we needed our sins to be washed away, and that was the only way. May we truly give you our hearts and lives today and follow you wherever that may lead. In Jesus' name, amen.